From KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. In this episode of Straight Talk, we learn more about Albina Vision Trust. It's a nonprofit dedicated to both revitalizing and reconnecting the historically black albina community in North Portland and inner Northeast. Four out of five black Portlanders once lived in Albina. It includes the neighborhoods of Elliott, Boise, King, Humboldt, Overlook, Irvington, and Piedmont. Many of those residents were displaced by the construction of I-5. Using its power of eminent domain and through urban renewal, the city of Portland demolished black-owned homes and businesses near what is today Legacy Emanuel Medical Center. The trust has a vision for large-scale restorative development. We find out more about the history of Albina, what Albina Vision Trust has accomplished so far, and what its plans are for the future. With my guest, Winta Johannes, Executive Director of Albina Vision Trust. Previously, Ms. Johannes was a senior policy advisor at Portland City Hall. In that role, she supported the development of Portland's first immigrant legal defense program and co-established the social equity program in the Cannabis Licensing Office to support entrepreneurs of color. She holds a BA from Reed College. Michael Alexander also joins us. He is the board chair, and he's an influential and well-respected business and community leader in the state of Oregon. While he officially retired in 2015, he continues to serve the community and advocate for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Before he retired, Mr. Alexander was president and CEO of the Urban League of Portland from 2012 to 2015. Prior to the Urban League, he served in executive roles at Regents, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Oregon, Magellan Behavioral Health, and Aetna. And JT Flowers is also here. He is Strategic Communications Lead for Albina Vision Trust. He is a lifelong Portlander and grew up in inner Northeast Portland's Albina District. He was raised by a single mother and grandmother, neither of whom attended college. JT went on to graduate from Yale University and earn recognition as both a Truman and Rhodes Scholar. Welcome to my guests, Winter Johannes, Michael Alexander, and JT Flowers. Welcome to Straight Talk. Such an honor and pleasure to have you here. Thank Delighted you. Delighted to be here. Yeah, thank you for having us. I'm so happy to have you here. And let's kick kick this off and set the stage for what your dream is for Albina Vision Trust and for Albina. We'll go down the table. We'll start with Winter. Yeah. So we aim to create a brand new zip code in the city of Portland. You know, the Albina Vision is the largest restorative development in the nation. So our dream is to successfully execute that vision and create a brand new neighborhood where wealth is shared and opportunity is available to all who live there. And what is your dream, Michael? You know, I look to have us move much closer to being the city we aspire to be that we look at what it means to serve the interests of all Portlanders, all Oregonians, and to build a future which is reflective of the hopes, the dreams, and the contributions that African Americans have made to this city over many decades. We need to be a part of our future. And JT. Yeah, that's beautifully put. Um, I think for, for me, as somebody who grew up in this city uh, and is from this district, uh, I grew up my whole childhood wanting to get out of this place, to make it out of this place. Um, I think the work that we do here is very much centered around creating, as Winter said, a zip code, a district, a community that people not only feel like they belong to, but feel like they want to stay in. And before we sort of dig into that vision, let's talk a little bit about the history of Albina. We have a clip from a trailer from your website, albinavision.org. It's called Restoring the Historic Lower Albina Neighborhood, and you'll hear from Donna Maxey. 
My name is Donna Maxey, and I was born in Albina. I was born at Emanuel Hospital in 1949. My childhood was very idyllic, and part of that has to do with living in Albina. When we had to move, we lost our home, we lost our church, my dad lost his business, he was a barber, and we lost our community. It, it got wiped out from the Rose Garden all the way up to Fremont, just about. My father's barbershop was just one of many black-owned businesses that were right there in that hub. I don't remember exactly the last day, but I remember we all walked through the house and made sure it was empty and, and kind of said goodbye to the house and cried. It was hard. It was very hard. I had very fond memories of that house and of the life that we had there. You know, that's really hard to hear. It's so emotional to hear how that impacted families like Donna Maxey's, isn't it, Winter? Yeah, it is. And, you know, every time I hear Miss Donna share her family's story, I'm reminded that for so many families here in Albina and in communities all across the country, what black folks have been left with instead of inheritance is stories and pictures of what used to be and what should have still existed. And so that gets to the heart of why we do the work that we do. Well, we're gonna talk more about black home ownership too in a minute, but we, as we talk about history, we should also acknowledge and talk about how Oregon was a racist state. Oregon was a Klan state. In 1857, it inserted an exclusion clause in the state constitution that actually made it illegal for black people to remain in the state. That clause wasn't removed until 1926, and Oregon was one of only six states that refused to ratify the 15th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution that gave black people the rights of American citizenship and black men the right to vote. According to Karen Gibson, associate professor emeritus at PSU who wrote Bleeding Albina, a history of community disinvestment, the hostile racial attitude of white Oregonians manifested itself in Portland's built environment through real estate practices. Winta and Mike, help us understand how the state's real estate practices impacted black home ownership in Albina. We'll start with the Winta. Yeah, well, so many folks don't recognize that in Portland, the home ownership gap between black families and white families is actually the fourth worst in the nation. And so that's yeah. the impact of decades of this kinds of policy is that we are near the bottom of the nation in terms of that uh, discrepancy. The other part of it is that, you know, people were not only denied access to homes, but in red line neighborhoods, they didn't have access to insurance, to business loans, and all of the other traditional mechanisms through which wealth is built. And so across generations, now we see that even as the city of Portland uh, was advancing and there were tremendous gains in wealth for the population at large, wealth for black Portlanders has actually been steadily decreasing. And so the landscape of Lower Albina demonstrates what the impact of that story is. And, and Mike, what about the displacement caused by the construction of I-5 and then later in the 90s gentrification? What did that do to the sense of community for black Portlanders? 
you know, as you spoke about the history here that preceded um, the modern era, I mean, this was a state where the black community faced challenges. We faced challenges across the nation, but Oregon was unique. We don't want you here. We don't expect you to stay. And therefore, you cannot own property. You cannot intermarry. You cannot vote. I mean, there were just a number of things that placed challenges that were very different than Mississippi or Detroit. I mean, we had a unique set of barriers. When you began to look at gentrification and displacement, it has been horrendous. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and I grew up in an area that has undergone tremendous gentrification. But I can point to the house that I was raised in, mm -hmm. and my grandchildren can see that. That historical remnant is there, and we build stories and memories around that. There are hundreds of black families that cannot do that here. They're pointing to Lane 5, they're pointing to the hospital, they're pointing to Memorial Coliseum. And that disruption is not only emotional and spiritual, it is financial as well. So we are looking at how do we string together restorative justice and restorative economics so that when we build community, it is reflective of not only the opportunity, but the obligation that this city and this region has to that community. And JT, what has that done to black Portlanders today over the generations? Yeah, absolutely. So as Winter and Mike have both alluded to, um, when we look at uh, the cost uh, that was uh, extracted from the black community through the construction of I-5, the construction of the Veterans Memorial Coliseum, uh, the construction of the Portland Public Schools headquarters site. Uh, over a thousand black owned homes raised to the ground. Hundreds upon hundreds of small black owned businesses uh, that were uprooted, displaced, um, and often put out of business through the fragmentation of community. The total cost, um, the price tag of, of that forced displacement has been over a billion dollars uh, over the course of these generations. So when we think about uh, black wealth creation today, when we think about the interconnectedness of the black community today, um, we have a, a very clear culprit um, for the disparities that Winter has alluded to throughout her commentary. Um, and I think one of the big things that we are trying to focus on um, is rebuilding the fabric of community so that our community, which is still to this day a very connected one on a spiritual level, on a familial level, on a human level, has the human and social infrastructure and the built infrastructure necessary to step back into a common space and work towards rebuilding what was taken from us. And we're talking about lower albino when we talk about this uh, revitalization. What does that encompass? Yeah, so lower albino, roughly speaking, is the 94 acres uh, with uh, stretching from the westernmost boundary would be uh, the Willamette River. The easternmost boundary would generally be I-5. Um, it would go roughly from just past the Broadway Bridge up past the PPS headquarters building and all the way down to the Steel Bridge. Yeah, and you know, while we stay focused geographically on Lower Albina though, what we're really talking about is the soul of the city. Mm -hmm. You know, we are at a yeah. decision point as a city in terms of deciding who we want to become, who do we value, and are we going to create a city where you have two classes of people where the only folks who can afford to live here are ones that have had access to generational wealth and everybody else is essentially a service worker that is coming here to provide cultural uh, and artistic talent to, you know, to work service jobs and if they're fortunate to live in affordable housing. Mm -hmm. We don't think that's acceptable 
and there is a better way forward in terms of who we think we can become as a city. Mm -hmm. And one of the, the great accomplishments so far for Albina Vision Trust has been the groundbreaking of Albina One, the first major project for Albina Vision. It happened on August 20th of this year. It will be a 94 unit affordable housing development in the Elliott neighborhood in Lower Albina at 1771 North Flint Avenue near Portland Public Schools Central Administration Building. Let's take a quick look at that momentous evening with some comments from you, Winta, from Rakaya Adams, and a little bit of music from Grammy winner Esperanza Spalding, who was there. Black excellence, oh, is your everyday. Black excellence. It is with this grounding that the Albina Vision Trust seeks to rebuild this beloved neighborhood in a way that can serve as a beacon for rebuilding wealth reclaiming home and ultimately stopping the forced displacement of black people. Today we're celebrating the groundbreaking of Albina One, the first major project of Albina Vision. It's eight years in the making. It's black people loving each other and reflecting that in the urban form. As Rakaya said, this was years in the making. What went into this, Winta? A lot of intentional commitment <laughs> to excellence. You know, when I uh, look at the video and think about the day, a few things will always stay with me. One is that we asked a community to trust us despite the continued broken promises that have come. And people did. And on the groundbreaking day, we were able to demonstrate that we're able to build exactly the kind of community that we have talked about for, for many years. Um, in terms of what went into it, though, a lot of intentional partnerships, uh, a lot of creative dreaming that then was able to be translated into a space that gives children a different message than the one that's been delivered for decades. You know, when Mike was explaining what's happened in this district, the very clear message to black children in the city have been that the city doesn't care about you or your families. And through Albina One, we're able to start telling a different story, that every single part of that building affirms that we believe these children are excellent before they even live in this building, and that the building is designed to facilitate all the opportunities that they want to pursue. And Mike, how does this play into to your vision for Albina? Well, you know, I think the thing that's been critically important for us is to maintain a duality between a very long-term vision, because we are looking over decades. The deconstruction and destruction of our community did not happen in a five or 10, it happened over 50 years. We're looking at a path forward that gives us that same timeline to look at how we develop. But at the same time, we also want to visualize what that can look like. Albina One allows us to both talk about aspiration and demonstration. This is the beginning. This is what fellow travelers into this space and this work have to look at being a part of what we believe in and what we want to demonstrate is possible and quite frankly is inevitable. We are going to continue to build on this path. And JT, let's, let's build on, on that thought too and how this is going to have ties for, for generational ties right first at Albina One. Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, this project is really, as both Winter and Mike have said, a, a cornerstone to a much broader development vision. It's a 94-acre vision for uh, what an interconnected and wealth-building community can look like, what we can create when we are very intentional about shaping resources and shaping spaces 
um, to drive and facilitate um, not only interconnectedness, but opportunity uh, from cradle to grave. So this for us is uh, central to that vision. It's uh, in, in many ways, as Micah said, a pilot site for a, a much larger and broader vision that will unfold over decades. And before we go to break, I do want to mention that Willamette Week just came out with its Give Guide where people can donate to very deserving nonprofits and Albina Vision Trust is part of that. What do you want people to know, JT, about the Give Guide and Albina Vision Trust? Well, thank you. We're so excited to be in the Give Guide this year. Uh, the Give Guide uh, offers us an opportunity to pull folks who might not have been exposed to our work uh, into this broader effort to, to rebuild 94 acres of center city uh, wealth and interconnectedness here in the heart of Portland. Um, it's an opportunity for people to donate at any level they feel comfortable, everything from $10 all the way up the ladder. Um, and every single dollar makes a significant difference for us. This money goes not only towards uh, funding operational costs for our organization, it also helps us go about acquiring property um, and to continue building out this vision, uh, which is such a, a critically important and precious one to us in our community. Well, we are going to find out more about Albina Vision Trust Dream and what's next after the break. We're back in two minutes. Welcome back to Straight Talk. I'm Laurel Porter. We're talking about the Albina Vision Trust and the plan to turn gentrification in Lower Albina into black re-entrification. I'm joined by the executive director of Albina Vision Trust, Winta Johannes, and the board chair, Michael Alexander, and the strategic communications lead, JT Flowers. Welcome once again. So great to have you here. Great to be here. We talked earlier in the first segment about Albina One, this 94-unit affordable housing development in Lower Albina. Winta, it's more, though, than, than housing units, right? Absolutely. So we know that affordable housing is critical in our community, and so this was the first project. But we also know that our aim is not to help people be better at living in poverty, right? The purpose of Albina Vision is to use place-based interventions to lift people up out of poverty and into uh, more prosperity. So at Albina One, we took a really intentional approach by making sure that there were on-site wraparound services uh, delivered through POIC. We made sure that the design of the building itself reflected Afrofuturistic uh, principles, which basically means uh, principles that reinforce that black people will exist long into the future. We made sure that utilities are paid for all residents so that they can save uh, and invest their, their hard-earned money. Um, we made sure that all of the uh, all of the vegetation on the grounds are edible to encourage mm. children to have a sense of curiosity and play. And maybe my most favorite um, part of Albina One is that we cut out uh, these giant balconies on every other floor, so that all of the families in this building will have million-dollar views across oh, the river. Wow. And so we want to affirm through every single decision that we've made in Albina One, everything from who's designing it, who's building it, and how will the families occupy the space, we want to affirm that these families matter to us and they deserve the absolute best, including in affordable housing. Well, that sounds wonderful. Mike, what else are you planning on this 94 acres of Lower Albina? You know, I think when we began this, we started with the belief that 
One, we could not allow it to be defined by market forces because market forces don't build communities. And secondly, that we wanted to make sure that it was as reflective, not only of our struggle, but our joy. And, and that we will not be separated from that which has kept us together as a community. And we wanted a place to live, work, and play in that space and in that recognition. So it's, it's got to look and feel like a place that people are going to want to be or come to, whether we're celebrating, whether we're congregating, it's our businesses. But this becomes a space that is, again, reflective of our highest aspirations as a city and as a region. And JT, there's going to be a, a waterfront park too, right? We have a rendering of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we're in partnership uh, with the city right now, trying to um, scope out and conduct a feasibility study on what a waterfront park might look like. And this is actually not a new idea. This is um, an idea that's been in circulation here in the city of Portland for well over 20 years. It's something that you would see in any major metropolis. There's no reason that 94 acres of prime center city real estate should be home to a bunch of parking lots and storage warehouses. It should be um, an active and abundant space that is home to uh, a broad diversity of people, of culture, of experiences, um, and access to the waterfront, access to the river is central to that. And Winter, you've been talking with Portland Public Schools. You'd like to be able to get that administration building there on, on Dixon Street, your first right of purchase right. for that. Where does that stand? Well, you know, that is the most underutilized space in the entire city core and so uh, we're working with the district and we're participating on the governor's central city task force and I'll just share with you here Laurel that our primary ask is that the state assist Portland Public Schools in relocating so that we can free up this critical site for housing, community uh, centers, commercial space, all of the elements of the vision that we've been talking about, recognizing that there are spaces downtown that have vacancy rates that reach 70, 80, 90% as reported just today. So we think there's an opportunity for Governor Kotek to take an active role in the city building that is necessary to move this work forward. And when we're talking about Albina One, I, I didn't ask you about the construction timeline. When do you think that you're gonna have that done and ready for people to move in? Yeah, so the first families will move in in 2025, in the summer of 2025. So we plan to host a giant uh, citywide uh, opening day celebration, summer 2025. Well, I wanna give you each just a, a short time for a final thought. JT, maybe 20 seconds for a final thought to share. Yeah, uh, as Winter said, this is the largest restorative redevelopment effort in the entire country. And the work we're doing here is not just about Portland, it's about a much broader national movement to address the harms and scars of not only gentrification, but urban renewal. So this work is uh, critical to all of us. And if we wanna be in community with one another, we have to build together and that's our goal here. Well I'm going to give uh, Michael the final word here for everyone uh, about Albina Vision Trust about 45 seconds. Well you know what what I would offer is that as we talk about this work today many of the folks who we talk to some of this is history for others it's memory they remember what had been there they remembered what is not here any longer our goal is that 50 years from now our children and our grandchildren will have both history and memory but the memory is gonna be a positive and affirming one. So that's the, that's the direction that we're traveling. Winter, I can give you like 15 seconds. I have a little bit more time, final <laughs> thought. 
Well, you know, all eyes are in Portland. As JP yeah. said, this is a national movement, and there was a playbook for destroying this neighbor, these neighborhoods, but there's never been a playbook for rebuilding them. And the most ambitious effort in the entire country is right here, and it's already being implemented. And you are leading the way. Thank you so much for the work you're doing on Abina Vision Trust. Winter Johannes, Michael Alexander, JT Flowers, thank you so much. You. And if you'd like to learn more or contribute to Albina Vision Trust Dream, check out their website, albinavision.org. You can also give to Albina Vision Trust. They have an ambitious goal. They're trying to raise $50,000. We can do it. Just go to Willamette Week's Give Guide. It's out right now. And thank you for watching and listening to our podcast. I'm taking a leave of absence, thanks to Oregon's new family medical leave, to take care of a loved one. Straight Talk is going on hiatus while I'm gone, and I will see you in the new year for Straight Talk. Take care.